Well, we're starting a brand new series today, and I'm quite excited about it. And we're going to approach it in a different way, uh, I think, because it's something that we all know that we need to do, and it's something that we want to do, and it's something that most of us, including myself, at times feel, feels awkward doing or not uh, adequately able to do the way that I want to, and that is to share my faith. That is to, and we're going to talk about evangelism. You're like, okay, uh, where are we going with this? And I just want to equip you. I'm going to give myself, uh, you know, some reminders because you know how it works. I've been open with you about this before. Normally before God will ever let me deliver a talk to you, he sort of works me over uh, with that talk, and I've got to wrestle with it myself. And then I reach a point where I'm like, okay, I'm wrestling through this. And either I'm doing really good in this area, I'm not doing so good in this area. And then once I work through that, then it's like I feel permission to share it with you. And and this is really the message series that we're going to be engaged in because I've got a heart for the lost. And I know that you've got a heart for the lost. And you've got family members that you care about. And you've got loved ones that you care about. And you want them to come to Jesus, right? You don't want them to miss eternity. And so it's just... What do I do? How do, how do I go about this? And this series is going to be helpful. And if you say, well, I've got all this covered. You know, Jeff, there's nothing you're going to share today and for the next two weeks that I am not already a superstar in. Well, then let me tell you, you're in about the 0.0005% category. The rest of us need this. How many of you, you need this as much as I do? How do you share your faith? How do you talk to somebody? How do you, how do you, um, you know, provide just this idea that there's room at the table. Room at the table, meaning, um, you know, God is not willing that anybody would perish. There's room at the table. God doesn't want anybody to be lost, right? And God doesn't want anybody to miss heaven. Now, people are going to miss heaven. People are going to spend eternity in hell. There will be people that will spend eternity in hell, but that is not God's will. Hell was, in my estimation, as I understand it theologically, that hell was never intended for people. It was uh, intended for the devil, uh, for those who work in collaboration with him. But uh, when people say, well, I don't want to have anything to do with God, when they say that their whole life, I don't want to have anything to do with God. I don't want to have anything to do with God. I want to, don't want to have anything to do with God. Well, basically permission granted. They'll spend the rest of their lives uh, without God. And we don't want that to happen. And what we're talking about today really matters. And what we're going to talk about next week and the week after that three-week series, it really matters. It matters a lot to God, by the way. What we're going to be talking about matters a lot to God. It matters a lot to God who sent his one and only son into this world for this reason. It matters a lot to Jesus. What we're going to talk about, it matters a whole lot to Jesus because Jesus is the one who went to the cross in place of every single person that has ever breathed air including you, including me, who should have went to the cross, but Jesus went on our behalf. It really matters to the people that are, uh, you know, in our lives or people that we know or people that we work with or go to school with that are not yet Christians. And it matters to them because uh, they don't need to spend an eternity where Jesus will not be. And I promise you, if your heart is at all open to God, if there's an inkling of your mind that is open to God, I promise you that by the time we get to the end of this series, what we're talking about is going to matter to you like never before, like never before. How many of you have ever heard the name Josh McDowell? You've heard that name. He's been around for quite some time. Uh, Josh McDowell tells this incredible story. He said, I was once visiting with a headhunter. 
an executive recruiter who seats out new corporate executives for other firms. He said, as I'm meeting with this guy, talking to this guy, the guy told me this. He said, when I, this headhunter does, he said, when I get an executive that I'm trying to hire for someone else, I like to disarm this person. I offer them something to drink. I take my coat off. I do my tie. I throw up my feet. I talk about baseball, football, family, whatever, until this person is relaxed. Then when I think that I've got them all relaxed, I lean over. I look them square in the eye and I say, what is your purpose in life? I just ask it out of the blue real quickly. And this guy told Josh McDowell, he said, it's amazing how top executives fall apart at that question. He said, well, one day I was interviewing this guy, had him all disarmed, my feet's up on the desk, I'm talking about football, then I leaned up and I did what I always do. I said, what's your purpose in life, Bob? And he said to me without blinking to go to heaven and take as many people with me as I can just that quick. And this headhunter says, for the first time in my life, I was speechless. Here's a person that understands their mission, their role in the world. And we spent four weeks talking about, I'm done. I'm done, you know, making excuses. I'm done complaining. I'm done comparing. I'm done living in fear. And these are the things we need to talk about. But those things deal with us. I, I need to be done. I need to. And so what I'm going to ask you today and for the next couple of weeks is to just really look beyond yourself. I'm going to ask you to do something that is not always easy for us to do, and that is to move beyond our comfort zone. I'm going to ask you, and I'm going to ask me, because I'm going to be talking to me every single week during this series as well, that we would capture something which is and is always will, and always will be the primary mission of Jesus. And we're going to learn from Jesus how this works, and you're going to know more about sharing your faith by the time we get to the end of this series than ever before. I really believe that, unless maybe you've gone through a special course that has trained and equipped you to do this. How many of you know this is important? How many of you know people's eternity is at stake? And God's going to help us to do this. Now, before we get to how Jesus teaches us how to do this, I, I want us to take a look at some verses from the book of Acts. And as we do, I want you to notice a common link here. I'm going to read portions of the passages that you're going to look at. But when we get to the highlighted portions, I need your help. And how many of you know when I say your help, that's like 100%. That's not like 42.7%. That's like 100%. All right, so I want you to notice a common theme. Let's get started. Acts chapter 16, one of those listening, I'm not going to give you all the background, but one of those listening was a woman named Lydia, dealer in purple cloth from the city of Thyatira, who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message when she and the members of... All right, that was the 46.7%. Let's try it again. When she and the members of her... That's much better. We're baptized. She invited us to... Her home at 16. Look a little bit later down. Look at these verses. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at. And she persuaded us. All right. That was a continuation of what we just looked at. Now go a few verses down now. Look at this. Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. You and your household. Keep going. A little bit later in, at 16. 
At that hour of the night, the jailer took them and and washed their wounds, and immediately he and all of his family were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. Look at the rest of this. Then Paul left the synagogue and went next door to the house of Tatius Justus, a worshiper of God, Crispus, the synagogue ruler, and his believed in the Lord and many of the Corinthians who heard and believed and were baptized. Now, I've made this easy for you, but what is the common link that is found in all of the verses that we looked at from four different passages, three in Acts 16, one in Acts chapter 18. What is the common parallel that is going on in all of these? You saw it. It's very clear to us. It's, it's house, it's home, it's household. And what we're learning early on in the book of Acts is that the gospel kept spreading rapidly through households. Now, when you and I think of households in our context and our understanding today, typically we narrow it down and we say, all right, if we're talking about a household, we're talking about, we're probably talking about parents. And if there's still children at home or children yet, we're talking, generally speaking, about parents and children. But during this time, when we see this from Acts 16, from Acts 18, during this time in history, the idea of household was actually much broader than this. It included just like what we would think of in our modern context, uh, parents and kids, but it went beyond that. It was much broader than that. It actually included extended family members, but also circles of people with whom you would work and play and relate to and do business with. In fact, we've got a term that we've coined it in our day. We would call it our network. It's the people that we're networking with. It's the people that we know. It's the people that we're around. It's the people that we know. Now, why is this relevant to us? And again, I want to share this with you sort of on the front side before we get into the nitty gritty. I want to offer it up to you this way. When it comes to the things in our lives that matter most, who do we usually trust most? Is it total strangers that we trust most? Generally not. Or is it family members and friends? Is it the people that are already in our networks? Now, I want to be careful because your mind could take it a step further than I want to go. Because we may think, all right, well, then I should only share my faith because you've already clued us in. We're going to talk about how to effectively and courageously share our faith with other people. You know, are you saying then on the front edge of this series that I should only share my faith with people that are in my network? And I am not saying that to you at all. And you're going to see this. It's going to become clear to you as we work our way through this. What I am saying to you, and it's just relevant, it's just practical, and that is what I'm saying is this, that the people that are going to be most receptive initially to you sharing your faith with is going to be the people that you already have credibility with. Does that make sense? So it's that, it's, it's sort of, if you're looking, where do I get started? It would be like already a part of your network, your household, if we're using sort of an acts analogy. The people that are, you're already working with and, and, and relate to, people that you already know. But of course, we do not stop it there. And what we're going to learn in this series, what we need to do is we need to learn to build relationships with unchurched people. We need to build relationships with people that are far from God. Now, here's the thing, and I already know it, but I'm going to go ahead and and mention it as though I don't know it, uh, because there's all kind of uh, statistical information and research that has been done that the longer that we're in a relationship with Christ, generally speaking, now there are exceptions to it, but for the most part, the further and further away that we get from relationships with people that are far from God. I mean, just think about your life right now and probably... Um, 
you know, the people that you're hanging around with most, maybe even all the time, maybe you have very few relationships, real relationships. It's not that you don't know people that are not yet Christians. It's just that you don't really have a relationship with them. It may be, I mean, you may take it to another uh, level and you just try to avoid them. And so we're going to work through this. We're going to talk through this. It's really important. And since this is the kickoff message to our new series, I'm going to approach this one a little bit differently. And to do so, I'm going to take you back to a long, long time ago when uh, maybe as a child you heard. Now, if you didn't grow up in church, you may have not heard this song. It's fine. doesn't mean that you're, you're not a great person or anything. It just means that maybe you missed this song. But a lot of us, when we were kids, we heard this song some point in church. Do you remember this one? Oh, be careful, little mouth, what you say. Do you remember that? Oh, be careful, little eyes, what you see. Be careful, little hands. Be careful, little feet. How many of you, wave your hand. I may be the only one in this entire place, but have you, wave your hand if you've ever heard that song before. Oh, be careful, little eyes, what you see. Be careful. And this came out, and I was reminded of it while I was working on this talk because we have some friends that they have a little boy. This happened numerous years ago that the little guy, they're in the pediatrics office, and they're waiting. They're in the waiting room, and our friend's son, he's just in the floor playing with some other kids and there was a particular mom this happened in another city that her child was doing something and she got it from where she was sitting and she walked over to her child and she spoke very with attitude and words very harshly to her child as as she's scolding him to which our friend's little boy stopped what he was doing looking up and a little bit to the embarrassment of his parents started singing as loudly as he could oh be careful little mouth what you say saying that you know you shouldn't be saying that mom to your child be careful little mouth and he just sort of sings through the song now what i want to do is in these moments, it's important for us to realize that Jesus did not just merely tolerate lost people. And that's important. Jesus didn't merely tolerate spiritually lost people. He genuinely loved them. So much so that Jesus went to them and he talked with them and he met their needs and he told them how that they could have eternal life in heaven. I read this moving statement not long ago, and I brought it with me today. This particular writer says, God's plan for his church is that there would be people who have the character of Jesus and who, therefore, love the people that Jesus died for. And the first step ought to be learning to develop relationships with unchurched people, people who are far from God. So I want to talk to you in the remainder of our time about Jesus and how he went about this. Now, in the song, it doesn't say, oh, be careful, a little heart, but we're going to add that Jesus' heart. What would it be like to be like Jesus in terms of having Jesus' heart? And I think it's a good question to actually ask ourselves early on, and that is, is my heart like the heart of Jesus? And the answer to that, just to clue you in, is not automatic because we can't say, well, I'm a Christian, aren't I? I'm in church today, or and I could be doing something else, but I'm in church. Therefore, my heart is exactly like the heart of Jesus. And we just need uh, to become real honest with ourselves about that. And sometimes we have to admit that our heart is not always like the heart of Jesus. I know that's true of me. Uh, how many of you say from time to time, that's true of you? See, sometimes my heart is not like the heart of Jesus. Sometimes if I'm not careful, my heart can get a little bit cold. Does that ever happen to you? Sometimes my heart can become a little selfish. Sometimes if I'm not careful, my heart can become a little bit callous. 
And the fact of the matter is, it's painful for you, for me, and it's convicting for us to realize that we're not always in, line, in alignment with Jesus' heart. My heart is not. I love to tell you that it always was, 99.9% uh, .9 of the time, 24-7, that my heart was always in perfect alignment with the heart of Jesus. But I have to admit to you that it is not. And sometimes it's just painful and convicting to realize that we're not sharing our faith, not necessarily because people are resistant or people are angry or people are threatening. It may just be that we are struggling at this particular time with a little bit of a heart problem where maybe before we even get rolling along that the first and most important prayer that we could pray would be, and again, if we're going to be in alignment with Jesus on what is his mission, that we would pray, that we would ask that God would give us a heart like Jesus. Because if I'm going to share my faith, if this, if this is really going to become important to me and to you, and if life is more than just us, and we're sort of like that, uh, that, that guy that uh, Josh McDowell was describing, hey, what is your mission? What is your passion in life? To go to heaven and take as many people with me as I possibly can. If we're going to get serious about that, then there's probably some things that you and I are going to have to change. And maybe it begins with our heart, where we say, Jesus, I need a heart that is like your heart. But it doesn't stop there. We also, we not only need Jesus' heart, we need Jesus' feet. And you're saying, all right, what do you mean? In that song, it says, oh, be careful. If you remember it, and some of you did, I saw a lot of you raise your hand. Oh, be careful, little feet, where you go. And the question you ask here is, do my feet take me to the places where Jesus' feet would take him? See, in the case of Jesus, his feet constantly took him to people who were lost and far from his father in heaven. Jesus' feet would take him to tax collectors who was like the despised dreads of society at that time because they were always ripping people off and people knew it and they knew it, but there really wasn't much recourse that you could have in regards to that and it just happened and they were despised and rejected because they were crooked business people and, and Jesus' feet would take him to people just like tax collectors and his feet would take him to prostitutes and to lepers and to pagans. In fact, so much so that Jesus was often called a friend of sinners. And maybe you've read that in the Bible sometimes and you think, oh, isn't that sweet? Isn't that nice? They called Jesus a friend of sinners. Isn't that wonderful how that they respected Jesus is that way, that way? And what we don't realize is oftentimes, in fact, the vast majority of the time, that Jesus would be referred to as a friend of sinners. It was used in a derogatory fashion. That Jesus' feet was taking him to people that they didn't think his feet should take them to. In fact, can I say it this way? You can study it on your own, but the Pharisees hated Jesus' feet. The Pharisees hated Jesus' feet because they, did, they could not, for the life of them, understand why they would take Jesus to the places that they took him and to the people that they did. And the Pharisees hated his feet because they would take them into places that they would think, in their religious elitism, into places where Jesus should never go and to talk and have conversations and relationships with people that a rabbi never should have a conversation. And the Pharisees hated his feet. But do you know who loved his feet? God loved his feet. 
God loved his feet. And you say, well, how do you know that? Look at this verse. Isaiah 52 and verse 7 says this. Look at it. How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of the messenger who brings good news. And that's what Jesus was doing. The good news of peace and salvation. And this is what Jesus was doing. The news that the God of Israel reigns. The Pharisees may have hated his feet, but God loved his feet. There's a particular lady in the Bible, if you've read through the Bible, that loved Jesus' feet as well. We know her story. One day she comes to Jesus, and she thinks that she is lost beyond all hope, and she found Jesus. That's what her uh, previous thinking had been, that she was lost beyond hope. Her situation was way too desperate, that she was beyond the reach and the love of God, and she comes to Jesus, and the story tells us that she anointed Jesus' feet with the most costly treasure that she had, and she bathed his feet with her tears, and she dried them with her hair because these, why? Because these were the feet that had brought Jesus to her lost situation. See, you and I not only need the heart of Jesus, and it starts right there because if our heart is not in alignment with Jesus or with the mission of Jesus, and we need God to repair our heart, maybe even perform a heart transplant on us, it starts with our heart, but it also means that we need to have feet like Jesus. Secondly, or thirdly in this case, if we're including his heart, we need to have Jesus' hands. The song says, oh, be careful, little hands, what you do. We need his hands. And Jesus constantly extended his hands to people who were in great need. Jesus constantly extended his hands toward people who were disconnected from his father in heaven. Just as there was this lady who went to Jesus and his feet were so precious to her that she, this alabaster box, you can read about it. I'm not going to get back into that, but it was so costly uh, to her. There's a story uh, that is shared with us in the scriptures that, that Jesus one day, he he comes into contact with this leper and this leper wants to be clean and without taking a lot of time to describe the story and I've thought about this so often anytime and again because leprosy is not a deal in our day at least in our country and so we don't really think through the ramifications and the sense of loneliness that any leper would feel and when I've read that as I often do I try to just stop and just put myself insert myself into the story and I've had times when I've been reading and studying the Bible and I've just thought what would it be like if I were this guy if I were this leper, what would that be like? And, and to tell you the truth, when I think about that, is, is, it's like almost depressing. Because the life of a leper was utter. You know what it would be? And because I'm a guy, because I'm a husband, because I'm a dad, because I'm a pawpaw. Uh, you know, I, I think about it in, in a family context. And I think that had I been that person, that the day would happen that I would have been, uh, you know, it would have been declared that I'm a leper. And because of, of that, I would be considered from that point forward to be unclean. You know what that means? That means that I would never, ever get a hug from my family member again. My wife would never hug me. My kids would never hug me. My grandkids would never hug me. I would never be touched. I mean, from the moment that I would be declared, think about this now, think it, because it changes your whole perspective on what a leper's life is like and what Jesus' hands uh, do. That here, if you were a leper, it would be like, I've been declared a leper, and, and, and you would pack up your belongings, and you would do it as quickly as you could, and you couldn't hug anybody in your family as much as they would want to, couldn't hug you because you're unclean, and, and they don't want there to be the transmission of this leprosy 
see. And so you'd just say to them, bye. And, and for the most part, you'd never see them again because you would have to go and live out in the, outside of the city in isolation. And if you ever did just see anybody in the context of the general population, again, not even in your family, but if you just saw anybody, nobody could get within 10 feet of you. In fact, if somebody was approaching you, you were under obligation to start raising your voice and say, unclean, unclean, unclean. And you were notifying people not to come any closer. And you would know when you left home and when you left your job and when you left your family and your spouse and your kids and your grandkids and your friends that you would never be touched again. You'd never be hugged again. And that was the life of a leper. One day this leper sees Jesus and he comes to Jesus and uh, he says, Jesus, if you will, you could just make me clean. I mean, you could just, you could just make me clean. And this is so amazing because you and I need to have the hands of Jesus, not just his heart, not just his feet, but we need to have his hands because this is what Jesus did. Jesus reached out and he touches this leper and it's like, that's not been done in a very long time. Now, how many of you know, you're already ahead of me. How many of you know Jesus never needed to actually touch the leper? He didn't. Jesus didn't have to touch this person. He didn't have to walk over. We don't know if he put his arms around him. He may have given him a big hug, but obviously Jesus' hands reached out and touched this leper, and he didn't have to. You know how we know he didn't have to? The Bible says Jesus can just send a word, and the word can heal us. Jesus could have just said, all right, dude, you know the rules. Don't come within 10 feet of me, but God heal you. You be healed in Jesus' name. Good. You don't have leprosy anymore. Have a good day. Go on back home. But Jesus, because he knows that this guy had not had a physical, human touch in a long time, Jesus walks over to him and embraces that. And he reaches out his hands. And Jesus kept on extending his hands to lepers and to the poor and to children and to the lost and hopeless. And eventually, when you think about those hands, those hands eventually would take nails for every sinner that had ever lived. And the question out of that is, are my hands doing what the hands of Jesus would do? So again, this is sort of the intro talk. You and I have this, this unbelievable responsibility, and hopefully after today and throughout this series, a heightened urgency to tell our friends, to tell our family, tell people that we work with, tell people that we've yet to build a relationship with, people that are unchurched, people that are far from God, that there's actually room at the table for them. But it will be most difficult for us to do that if we don't have the hands of Jesus or we don't have the, the feet of Jesus or we don't have the heart of Jesus. Next, Jesus' mouth. Little Saul says, oh, be careful, little mouth, what you say. That's what our friend's son was saying to that mom that day, much to the embarrassment of his own parents. Oh, be careful, he says to this mom. Oh, be careful, little mouth, what you say. And I'm not going to spend a lot of time here because we're going to focus more on this next Sunday. Because, and you need to be here next Sunday. You need to be here. I would encourage you, uh, if you know other people that need to hear this kind of talk, you'd bring them with you. Because I'm going to explain to you in a practical way, and this is going to give you courage, how you and I can effectively communicate our faith to other people. But I'll only mention this in passing because reaching the spiritually lost involves more than just living the life. How many of you know we need to live the life before them? But how many of you know, truth be told, again, vulnerability, transparency with one another, a lot of times we leave it at that. I'm just going to live the life before them. I'm just going to live the life before them. I'm going to live the life before them. I'm going to live. And that's important. That's important. All of us ought to do that. But how many of you know that's not the whole story. We've also got to be willing to share our faith. 
And all I'll say on this one before we move to the very last one is this. And uh, we'll talk about it. We'll focus on it uh, more intently next week. And again, this is going to be an important message you cannot afford to miss because it's going to be the kind of message you need to hear, but maybe you've never heard before. And how do we communicate our faith? How do we talk to our family members? How do we talk to our friends? How do we talk to people at school? How do we talk to people at work? How do we communicate the gospel? We'll get into that next week. And it's going to be hugely helpful for us all. But here's all I'll say on this one before we move to the final one. It's a good thing to start dropping clues and hints early on that we're a Christian. And what I mean by that is to start dropping clues. See, you don't need to work where you need to work for five years and people not know that you're a Christian. And they say, well, he, you know, I can tell he, he doesn't get angry like everybody else and he doesn't act the way that everybody else. But yeah, and that's good. That's good. That's good. But it's important that we drop clues. It's important to say, you know what I've noticed? No matter how, how far a person may be from God, I've never had this experience. Maybe you have. And again, we're in America. We're not like in a, in a country where Christianity is illegal and you can't even go to church or own a Bible, but I've never had anybody tell me, anybody who was even really far from God, if they were talking to me about a situation, would decline if I said, well, hey, would it be okay if I pray for you? Would it be okay if I pray for you? And sometimes, depending on the situation, we'll get into this more next week about a person's, rep, uh, you know, uh, receptivity, sort of supply and demand. We'll talk about that. But um, sometimes it may mean that, I, and I've done this, Perhaps you have done it many times as well. Sometimes it necessitates that I pray for them right there, and they're open to it, and I know they're open to it, and they may be so far from God, have nothing to do with Jesus yet. Hey, yeah, I understand that. I hear what you're saying. Would it be okay if I pray for you? I've never had anybody look at me and say, no, absolutely not. Have you lost your mind? Don't you know I'm a non-Christian? Don't you know I don't go to church? Don't you? I've never had somebody do that. Now, if it's somebody that I don't know real well and I'm trying to discern the moment, and we'll get into this because the Holy Spirit has a brilliant way of helping us to discern the moment with people if we're really willing to get serious about this, and I hope you are. Sometimes it may be that I don't pray for them right then and there, but I may say something like this. Hey, I've got a prayer list, and I keep people on there, and I'm praying for people all the time. I do this with church folks, by the way. I do it with a lot of you, by the way, who I know your situation. I may say to a person far from God, hey, I've got a prayer list, people that I'm praying for, and I'd like to add, would you be okay if I? And, and so what are you doing? You're dropping hints. You're dropping hints. You're letting people know, hey, I've, you know, at my church the other day, hey, I'm not afraid to die. Yeah, I mean, that, you're dropping hints. I'm not afraid to die. You mean you're not afraid to die? Why wouldn't you be? Well, you're going to have to eventually back that up and tell them why. Or you can say, you know what? My life is totally different now. Really? How's your life different now? And you're going to have to be prepared to tell them how. And we're going to learn this together next week. But we need Jesus' heart, and we need his feet, and we need his hands, and we need his mouth. Now, this one is not in the song. We can add it to it if we want. If you want to rewrite the song, have at it. But we also need Jesus' backbone. We need his spine. Does that make sense? Because sometimes, and the question here is this, do I have the spine, do I have the backbone to remain persistent even when I'm not seeing immediate results? Well, I'll often have, again, if we get serious about this, and you may or may not, I hope you will. But if we get serious about this, we're going to have to remind ourselves that our responsibility is to sow the seeds, and it is Jesus' responsibility to make it grow. And according to Jesus' own words, sometimes the seed is going to fall on the path, and it's going to get eaten up by birds. And sometimes it's going to fall on rocky places, 
And sometimes, and it won't ever grow or germinate. Sometimes the seed is going to fall among thorns and it's going to get choked out. But eventually, Jesus said, the seed is going to find some good soil and eventually there will, in fact, be a harvest. But it requires a spine and a backbone. You can't be a wimp. You can't be soft and effectively share your faith and tell people there's room at the table. You're going to have to have Jesus' spine. Some time ago, I read this statement. It so spoke to me that I saved it. And talking about sharing our faith, you know what? The writer says, it is hard. Maybe this is why Paul encourages us, encourages us to do the work of evangelism. It is work and hard work at that. You put your heart out there. You offer grace and acceptance to people and you love people that are far from God. You sow seed. You make the cause. You extend the hand of friendship. You pick up the phone in the middle of the night and at the end of the day, you just feel like you've been ripped to shreds. But somehow you hang in there, determined to keep sowing seed. Sure, you may be a fool. I like the way they write it here. Sure, you may be a fool, but you're a special kind of fool. You're the fool who still believes that a tiny seed, that a tiny green sprout will one day rise up from the dirt. And you just keep relentlessly, persistently sowing seeds. And you do so why? Because you've got Jesus' heart. And you have Jesus' feet that takes you places. In fact, it doesn't even have to take you to another world, another uh, country in this world. Because there are people. How many of you know that there are people where you work or where you go to school that are far from God? People that are on church. Just wave your hand like that. It may be that your feet just need to take you to people that are already in your vicinity, but you've never established a relationship with. And we need Jesus' hands. And we need his mouth. And you're going to learn this next week, and it's going to be eye-opening for a lot of you. And we need his backbone, and we need his spine. We need this. We need all these things, his backbone, his mouth, his hands, his feet, and his heart. Why? Because there's still room at the table. There's still people that need to know Jesus. And Jesus could come down and tell him himself, but I've got news for you. He is not. You are his ambassador. I am his ambassador. To let people know there's still room at the table. You stand with me, everybody. While your head is bowed and your eyes are closed and we're all done and we're out of here, but how many of you, there's somebody even right now as we've been working our way through part one of this series, how many of you, somebody's already, your head's bowed, your eyes are closed, somebody's already come to your mind that you know they need Jesus. They've already come to your mind. Just lift your hand. They've come to your mind. They need Jesus. They need Jesus. They need Jesus. Yeah, me too. Me too. And it may not be that you need them all, but how many of you are like me? Maybe that you need Jesus' heart or you need his feet, his hands, his mouth, his spine. But you need something from Jesus that's going to help you to be able to share your faith. If that's you, would you just raise your hand? I'm lifting my hand. I'm going to learn and grow with you during this series because I want to be better at this. So help us today, Father. All of us have people that we know, people that are in our own families, maybe our kids, maybe our brothers, our sisters, our parents. Maybe it's somebody that we're working with. Maybe it's several people that we're working with or we go to school with. Maybe it's somebody that's our neighbor and 
And they see that we go to church, but they don't even understand why we go to church. God, help us in these next couple of weeks to be able, like never before, to align ourselves with your mission, to have your heart, to have your mouth, to have your backbone, to have your hands and your feet, and to tell everybody we can, courageously and practically, there's room at the table for you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Everybody said, amen. Love everybody. See you next Sunday.